First Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And so he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. And then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab and said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart, and go to the land of Judah. And so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Father, we ask this morning... As we open up your word, as we consider this event in the life of your servant, David, Lord, we ask that you would use this to speak to our hearts, that we would see, Lord, the parallel in this passage as it relates to our life today, being joined with you. And Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us, that you've saved us, that you did shed your perfect sinless blood so that we could have life. And we give you, Lord, this time, in Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 55, the Lord makes this statement. He says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could ever imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if you have walked with the Lord for any period of time, you have found that verse to be true. That the way that God chooses to work in our lives is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And I think the arena where that is proved to be the most true is in that arena of service. In that arena and with those vessels that God is choosing to work in and to work through. We see it throughout the pages of Scripture. We see it where he takes a a Gideon and trims his army down from 30,000 down to 300. We see it in the life of a Joseph where he takes Joseph and he puts him there into prison and allows him to, to be trained up in there. We see it throughout the pages of Scripture with the men and the women that God was seeking to work in and to work through that he was moving and working in a way that was way beyond anything that they would have ever dreamed, that they would have never concocted, they would have never laid out the plan in that way. We see it in the annuals of church history, and we see it in the church today. And we find it to be especially true in the life of the man that we have been studying about, and that being David. We've noted that David was called as a little shepherd boy to be the the greatest and the next king there in Israel. We've seen that God used him in incredible ways. He raised him up and gave him the courage to go out and do battle against Goliath. And he was victorious over that great giant. We saw where God used David in many other battles. And the women saying that David had slain his 10,000 of the enemy. That God was working in his life. But as God was working in David's life, we also saw where Saul, the, the current king, was becoming jealous. And he sought to chase and drive David from the kingdom. 
and he tried several attempts to take his life. And as we are in this particular passage, we noted last week that that David is a fugitive now. He's an outcast. He is on the run because Saul is endeavoring to hold on to that, that which is no longer his to keep. But he's holding on to it. He's seeking to, to keep the kingdom. But all of this that was going on in David's life right now, him being, you know, attempted murder as, as Saul tried to kill him. And now he's a fugitive and he's an outcast. It was all part of God's process in training David to be the greatest king in Israel's history. And there's a principle of God in this that we need to understand. And the principle is this, is that there is always a gap between the promise of God and the performance of that promise in our lives. There is always a gap between the promise of God and the performance of that promise. And so often the gap is for our preparation. It's to train us. It's to encourage us. It's to build us up. It's been said that full-grown oaks are not produced in three years and neither are servants of God. There's a process that God allows us to go through. And it's during that time of preparation, it's in that process that we come to find that his ways of training are beyond anything that we could ever imagine and that his ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now, in our study last time, we noted that David had this little lapse of faith after he was driven from the kingdom. And David goes to the world. He runs to Gath, seeking comfort and friendship and refuge. But he doesn't find it there. And when he finally comes to his senses, he escapes to this cave there in Adullam. This was a place of David's refuge. He couldn't go to his house He couldn't go to the palace. He couldn't go to Samuel. He couldn't go to Jonathan. He couldn't even go to the house of the Lord. But he could go to this humble cave, and it was there that he could find refuge. You know, a cave can be a good place for God to work in our lives. You recall Elijah, the prophet, who after his great victory over the 450 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel, Jezebel, the queen, says, I'm going to have your head. He gets scared and he heads off. He's on the run. He's running through the desert, actually comes to this place in the midst of the desert where he says, God, I just want you to kill me. God brings him to this cave and it's there in the cave that we read that there was the, an earthquake. But it says God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. There was a mighty rushing wind, but God wasn't in the wind. But God came and spoke to him in a still, small voice there in the cave. Sometimes God needs to get us into a cave type of setting before we are still enough to hear his voice. Maybe you find yourself today in a cave. Maybe you've recently been laid off from your job. You're not sure what you're going to do. And you're in that cave. You're in that place where, where it's just, it's still, it's silent. God, God has brought you to this place of stop because he wants to speak to you. Maybe it's the cave of a sickness. Maybe it's the cave of a heavy trial. Maybe it's the, the cave of something going on in your family's life that you just have no control of, over. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to react. You don't know how to respond. Oftentimes, it's when we're in the cave that we think it's the end of us, that we are doomed. But listen, God doesn't lead us to the caves to ruin us, but he leads us to the cave 
to reroute us, to reroute our lives. I think of Doug Martin, one of our assistant pastors here. Doug was uh, an accountant working for a very successful company, Mitsubishi Foods. They sold their company to somebody else and that company or that, that new group of owners decided to downsize and Doug found himself out of a job. He was making good money. His, he was, you know, really things were set for him, except like most people, he was overworked and a bit stressed. And, and, and now he finds himself in this place where he doesn't know what he's going to do. Place he's been working, you know, for many, many years, and now he's not working there anymore. And they gave him a, a pretty good severance package, so he didn't have to really look for a job right away. And so he started coming down here to the church. Is there anything I can do? And he started painting walls and cleaning toilets and serving, you know, coffee in our cafe. And after a period of time, God begins to move on his heart. He's there in the cave, and, and, and God's like saying, Doug, I have something else for you. He comes and he says, Rob, you know, I don't think I, I, God wants me to go out and work in the, the world and be an accountant at a big place anymore. And, you know, is there anything I can do here? And just about that, that time, we were in need of somebody to start uh, doing our, our books and take over that part of the ministry. And we said, well, you know what, we, have a, a, we need an accountant right now, somebody to do the books, but, you know, we can't afford you. So that's okay. You know, we, we have uh, simplified our lives. We're selling our house. We're downsizing. And we want to, you know, get to this place where, where God can use us. And so we brought him on staff. And after a year or so, he became an assistant pastor. And this past month, he did his first funeral, his first couple's retreat for another church. And weekly, he goes and ministers in the, in the Vista Jail. And I bet if you were to ask Doug, he would say that God's ways are far beyond anything that he could ever imagine. That 10 years ago, where he sits today is probably the last place that he would ever have imagined himself being, being a pastor and being in the ministry. Well, God brings David to this cave, and it's there that God is going to meet the needs in David's life. That word adulam, it means refuge. But the cave wasn't to be David's refuge, but it was in that cave that the Lord wanted David to understand that he was his refuge, that he was going to be his strength. And David finds there in that cave what he was searching for in the world. You see... In chapter 21, we noted David runs to the world. He's seeking comfort. He's seeking refuge. He's seeking friendships. He's seeking some asylum. But he doesn't find it there. And so he runs. And the Lord brings him there to this cave. And and what David is going to find is that there in the cave, he discovers... He finds what he was searching for in the world. And it's always that way with the Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus did. John chapter 21. It's after the resurrection. And the disciples get tired of waiting for the Lord to come and bring them instructions. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Some others say, hey, we'll go with you. They go down to the Sea of Galilee and they throw their nets out and they're fishing. And like usual, they're not catching anything. Jesus comes cruising along and he calls out, hey, have you caught anything? No. And he says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? They're still clueless. You know, he said he's already done this with them three years before, but, but they're not catching it. And so they do. And they have so many, much fish that fills their nets, it almost sinks their boats. And they come in. And there Jesus is on the shore, and he's got a fire going. He's got fish cooking. He has uh, bread there waiting for them. The very things that they were looking for, fish and bread, out there as they were fishing, Jesus already had it and was already providing it for them. And it's always that way. 
We run to the world. We run to these different things thinking this is going to be the thing that that satisfies me. This is going to be the thing that brings me peace and brings me comfort. This is where I'm going to find my friends. And the very thing that we're searching for, it's found there for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what David is going to discover. You see, it's here at this point that others come to David at that cave of Adullam. We see first in verse 1 that his family comes to him. And this was a precious gift from God because previously David, all he had from his family, from his father and his brothers was persecution and trouble. But now they come and they join him here at this cave of Adullam. They finally come to, the, to recognize God's hand and calling upon David's life. And what a blessing this must have been. For David to see these friendly faces, to see that his family was coming to rally around him and to join him. But then we also see in verse 2 how God was going to do in David's life what he could never imagine. Notice it says, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered themselves to him and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 Men. These men were the most unlikely candidates to be the mighty men of God that would form David's army. Yet God raised these men up to establish a kingdom in Israel and to bring the kingdom really to the zenith of its glory by using these men to destroy the enemies of Israel. But they started in distress, in debt discontented. The word distress speaks of being under pressure, of of being under stress. In debt, obviously, it means you can't pay your bills. And discontented, it speaks of those who who were of bitterness of soul. And these were the kind of men that God was leading there to David in in the midst of, of his own turmoil. How'd you like to have a bunch of guys, 400 of them, like this come and surround you? Hey, we don't have any money and we're freaked out and we're, you know, have the bitterness of soul. But, you know, we just feel like we're supposed to be here, you know, kind of a thing. I'm David. I'm thinking, great, God, what are you doing now? You know, a bunch of misfits. But here was this group of people that had tired of Saul's reign over them. Now, Samuel had warned He warned the people what a king was going to do when he would come on the scene. He told them in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that this will be the behavior of the king who reigns over you. He will take from your sons and use them for his army. He will take your daughters and use them in his palace. He will take from your fields and your resources and your flocks and your servants, and he'll use them for his own purposes. And that's why these men came to David in this condition. This is why they were, you know, in distress and in debt and why they were discontented. They were being exploited by this current system. And so they came to David this way, but they didn't stay that way because, you see, God would use David to make this ragtag group of renegades into the kind of men described in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. We have a description of these guys later on. Listen to what, what it says there, that they were mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the shield and the spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. These were men who, as they came and came under David's leadership and training, they were men who would do great exploits for God. 
Many of these men would become giant killers, just like David. Some of them would single-handedly stand against 800 of the enemy forces and single-handedly defeat them. They were men that God used in a radical way. And so these men came and they gathered there around David and he became a captain over them. But notice this, it wasn't a mob. This wasn't a mob that God brought to David. This was a, a team that needed a leader and David became that leader. And there's two important principles of God that we see in this. The first principle is this, is that God doesn't work through mobs, but he works through called and anointed men and women. When the ark had to be built, God didn't call 400 people. He called a man, Noah. When God was going to lead his people out of the land of Egypt, he didn't form a committee. He called a man by the name of Moses. And over and over again in scripture, we see that God's work is led by a called and anointed man. Nehemiah, you women are studying about him. The rebuilding of the walls. But the second principle that we see here, and you really see it there in the book of Nehemiah, is that when he calls a man, he also calls others to stand with and support those men and to support those women that he is called. That God rarely calls that man and that woman to work alone. You see, David needed these 400 men. God was calling David to be the next king. God was calling David to lead a work there in the nation of Israel. But it wasn't a thing that he was going to do by himself. David needed these 400 men, even though he didn't know it or didn't see it before. And they were just as called and just as anointed as David. But they are called and anointed to follow and support David. And David is called to lead them and anointed to lead them. And they would become the Navy SEALs of Israel. They would become the great commandos in God's army. And so God brings there to David these 400 men in distress, in debt, discontented. And I I think we can see an interesting parallel in this story that applies to our lives as well and our calling to follow after Jesus Christ. For you see, God has ordained his son, Jesus Christ, to reign over the earth. God has anointed him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But Satan is still ruling in the affairs of the world today. Satan is the source of all evil and all suffering in this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he is called the God of this world. In Ephesians 2.2, he is called the prince of the power of the air. And the world is held in his evil grip today. And he is doing his best to to hold on to the world and to keep Jesus, the rightful king, from taking the kingdom. And in a sense, he tries to keep Jesus in a position of exile, in a position of outcast in the affairs of the world. But listen, Jesus is presently, Jesus is currently gathering men and women unto himself. Men who were like these guys. Women who are like these, this group, that they are in distress, that they are in debt, that they are discontented. Men and women who have tired of Satan's rule in this world. And the mighty men and women of Christ's kingdom today are for the most part those who are distressed when they look at the affairs of the world today. I'm distressed When I see the evil within our world that would cause people 
in their zealousness and their hatred to hijack airplanes and crash them into buildings, killing thousands of people. I'm distressed when I look at our world today and I see that, that at, through people's hatred that they would take poison and put it in the mail and send it out randomly as well as targeted to inflict pain and destruction upon people. I'm distressed when I look at what's called the crime clock within our, our world today that there is one murder that happens in the United States every 33 minutes That there is one forcible rape that takes place every five minutes. That there is one robbery that takes place every 1.3 minutes. And there's one violent crime that happens in the United States every 22 seconds. And there is one aggravated assault that happens every 34 seconds. And there is one burglary that takes place every 15 seconds. And there's one mortar vehicle theft that happens every 27 seconds in the United States today. It's distressing. When you look at and hear statistics like that, it's distressing when you realize, when you understand that there have been more than 38 million babies aborted in the 26 years since the U.S. Supreme Court legalized unrestricted abortion. It's distressing when you read and come to understand that there are are over one million kids in the United States today who are the victims of child abuse. And that's the actual cases. That's that's the the ones that they have researched and found to be true. Just think about all the cases that that aren't reported. It's distressing when you consider that over 500,000 people in the United States have died from the AIDS virus. And there are currently in the United States over 900,000 people who have been infected with AIDS. And 70% of those don't know that they have it. And there are 40,000 new cases of HIV in the United States every single year. Yet promiscuity and the homosexual lifestyle is still propagated in the media and in our colleges and, and, you know, in, in our high schools. It's distressing. And the more that you know about the state of affairs in the United States today, here in this country, the more distressed you can become. And if I didn't know that Jesus was, you know, in control of these last day's events and that he was coming soon, soon, I mean, you could get distraught in hearing about these things. The men and women that Christ calls to be a part of his kingdom are not only distressed, but they're in debt in several ways. We are in debt to God in the the sense that we owe him our very existence. We breathe his air. We drink his water, seldom without even thinking about it, without even a a thank you. But even more so than that, that we we have sinned against God. And because of our sin, we are we've accumulated a debt that we cannot pay. But God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son. To come and die on a cross to pay for our debt. To shed his perfect sinless blood. To cover our sins. To redeem us of our debt. And to set us free. We were slaves to sin. We were being ruled by Satan. We were being ruled by our own lust. But Jesus Christ paid the price of the ransom. So that we could be free. So that we could know God. So that we could walk with God. So that we could live in fellowship with God. I owe to Jesus. All that I am and all that I had because he paid a debt that I I couldn't pay. He did a work that I couldn't do. And it's that debt that, that has drove me 
to Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus wants to enlist you, poor debtor, and take you out of your debtor's prison and introduce you to the king's table because bankrupt debtors make good soldiers for the king. And I have found that to be true. But those men that gathered to David were not only distressed and not only in debt, they were discontented. And discontentment can be a bad thing. There are some people who are, they're discontent with everything. They're never pleased. It's either, you know, too hot or it's too cold or it's too cloudy or it's too sunny or the food was too bland or it was too spicy. I mean, there's no, you never can please some people. And there's people like that in the church. No matter what God is doing, they always, you know, want to complain about something. But there is a discontentment that can be good. Discontentment has led to a lot of progress in our society. It was a man who was discontented and riding around in a horse-driven buggy that invented the automobile. It was a man who was discontented of having to beat the dust out of, the, out of his rugs that invented the vacuum cleaner. And it's discontentment with sin that can drive a person to Jesus When that person comes to that place in his life where he begins to weigh out his sin and the pleasures of sin, and he realizes what the Bible says is true, that sin is pleasurable for a season, but it doesn't last. And when he looks beyond the surface of his life and he looks down deep, he begins to see that there's an emptiness, there's a shallowness there to him. That there's something that, that, that is missing. There's an emptiness in his life. And it's that discontentment, that emptiness that can bring him to that place of coming to Christ and enlisting. They're in the army of God. And even after we come and give our lives to Christ, it's that discontentment that can bring us to that place where God wants us always to be. And Christian, listen, if you've been walking with the Lord, here's where God wants every single one of us is that we never get to that place where we sit back and we're content. We think, hey, I've arrived. I'm doing great. But there's that discontentment that we have where we look at our lives and we see, you know, Jesus is here and we're still, you know, have so much work that needs to be done. And it's that discontentment that causes us to acknowledge our dependency upon the Lord that drives us to that place of wanting to just follow after him and be completely surrendered to him. Christian, listen, God is working, I believe, in these last days in much the same way that he was working in David's day. That he is seeking and he is calling men and women to join his team, to be a part of a generation of people that want to make a difference for Jesus Christ in this world today. Men and women who want to be a part of a different kingdom. God took these men and God made these men that came to David into this mighty army of of men. And he's wanting to do the same thing today. To take people like you and I and to make us into a mighty army for Jesus Christ. But you know what? For the most part, a lot of us, we have a tendency to think that God can't use us. Or that we're disqualified from God's service. But God uses very unlikely people to do his work. Let me give you a couple of examples that you're familiar with. When God wanted to do a radical work in the city of West Covina, who does he call? A Mexican street fighter who could barely even speak English. A man who was so violent in Vietnam and so murderous that the Marines were fearful of him. And they discharged him. Raul Reese. But God did this incredible work there in that city through that man. When God was wanting to stir up the city of Downey, who does he call? 
A young man who was previously one of the biggest drug dealers in that city, Jeff Johnson. And he uses Jeff to do this incredible work in the city of Downey. When God wanted to stir up the city of San Diego, who does he call? A young man who had so fried his brains on acid that he walked around thinking half of his face was blown off. But a man that God healed and a man that God touched and used him to touch San Diego and the rest of the world, Mike McIntosh. When God wanted to reach the city of Riverside, who does he call? An ex-hippie who could barely even find his socks in the morning. Yet this past summer up in Anaheim at Edison Field, like many summers before, he preached over a series of several nights and over 15,000 people made commitments to Jesus Christ. And God has done a radical work there in Riverside through Greg Laurie. Now God wants to reach North County. God wants to reach your workplace. God wants to reach your neighborhood. Who's he going to use? He's going to use the, the, the stressed, the in debt, the discontented, you and me. All God is looking for is a willing heart. That's all he's looking for. That's all that he's desiring. That's all that he's looking for. You can't say I'm too young. Jeremiah tried that excuse. You can't say I'm too old. Moses tried that excuse. You can't say I'm too small. You ever gone to bed with a mosquito in your bed? You can see what a small little thing can do. You wake up in the morning and there's bites all over you. Or a spider. You can't say, you know, my life's a mess. David's army was made up of 400 losers. And they gather around David, and God does this work. That's all we can do. All we can do is gather around Jesus Christ and tell him, Lord, I'm distressed. And tell him, Lord, I'm discontented with the way things are in my life and in the world around me. But I want to give my life to you. I want to yield my life to you. Tell him, Lord, I'm a debtor to you. I owe you my life. And you know what? God is into using people like us. People whose lives are messed up. People whose lives are broken. Vance Havner said this, God uses broken things. Broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to give rain. Broken grain to give bread. Broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It's Peter weeping bitterly who returns to a greater power than ever. God is into using broken people. God is into using broken things. And God wants you and me to be able to say at the end of a year from now, as we look back, that we could say concerning that year that has just passed, God has done in my life this year more than I could ever imagine. God has worked in my life in this past year, in this past month, in this past 10, more than I can ever imagine. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That's what God is seeking to do with all of us. How does he do it, though? 
How did God take this ragtag group of renegades and turn them into this mighty army who would help establish the greatest kingdom in Israel's history? Well, note a couple of things, and we'll see the parallel in our life. First of all, as I said before, these were men who had tired of Saul's reign over them. They saw the way that the kingdom was going, and they didn't like it. I ask you this question. Have you tired of the reign of Satan in in this world? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, are you tired of of the reign of Satan and the effects of, of his influence in your own life? Have you realized, have you come to understand that there's that emptiness? Have you recognized that part of the reason why you're in debt spiritually is because of his influence and because of your sin? That's why you're discontented. That's why you're distressed. Secondly, they they were men who came and they believed that David was God's anointed king who had the right to rule over them. They believed that Saul was a usurper who should no longer have authority over them. You could say that they had become converted from Saul to David. Again, the parallel is clear. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and recognized that he is God's anointed king? Have you made him the king? Of your own life? Have you come to understand that Satan is a usurper who only wants to kill and rob and destroy? That's his goal. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Have you been converted from Satan to Christ? Number three, they not only believed, they decided. Their belief led to an action. They came to David and they took their stand with David. And when they did, the moment they took their stand with David, they became enemies of the current kingdom and outcasts in the world. They were living, though, for the kingdom to come rather than the kingdom that they were living in. Have you made that decision? Has your life been altered in that way? You know what keeps a lot of Christians from being used by the Lord is they're so enamored with this life that they don't have a lot of mindset They're so enamored with this kingdom that they don't have a lot of mindset or energy left for the kingdom of God. Have you made that decision? Christ, King. Knowing that when you take your stand with Christ, it means that you're taking your stand against the world and the system of this world that says to live for yourself. That says that you are the captain of your own destiny. That says that you can chart your own course. Have you come to that place where you've discovered and and decided, I I don't want to be the captain of my ship. I've ran it aground too many times, Lord. I want you to be my captain. David, it says in verse 2, became a captain over them. And that's the fourth thing we see. They not only believed on David, they not only decided for David, but they submitted to David. And their submission meant that they were willing to wait on God's timing to carry out his plan and his purpose in their life. Are you willing? Have you submitted to the Lord to that place of saying, God, I'm willing to wait, to sit in this cave To sit in this trial, I'm willing to wait for you to carry out your plan and your purpose in my life. Are you in a cave right now? Been laid off? Suffering with a sickness? Going through a heavy trial? Are you in a cave right now with some tragedy 
or some news that you recently received this past week. I think there's somebody here that you, you got a call on Thursday. And it was something that just rocked your world. And you're at that place of like, I don't know what to do. God isn't working. God isn't doing this to ruin your life, but to reroute your life. He's brought you to that place where he wants to be your refuge. He wants you to wait upon him, to be silent before him so he can speak to you in that still small voice. And he wants you to recognize that all the stuff swirling on the outside of that cave, that he isn't in that. Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation. Living in this world, stuff happens. It does. But he wants to come and speak to you in that still, small voice. He knows your needs, and he's going to meet those needs if you'll just wait upon him so that you can say in time, God has done through this situation and in my life more than I could ever imagine. Christian, be encouraged today. God uses and works through messed up people, the discontented, the distressed, those who are in debt. We might feel that we are no use to him. We might feel that, that, that God can't use us, but the Lord simply wants to gather us around Jesus like he gathered these men around David, knowing that the closer that we get to Jesus, the more like Jesus we are going to become. That's what happened to these guys. They hung out with David for quite some time. And the more they hung out with him, the more they walked with him, the more they watched him, the more they listened to him, the more like David they became. And some of them, they became giant killers just like David. No one in Saul's army became a giant killer because he wasn't. But these men who walked with David, they became those that God was working through. Christian, have you been hesitant? Hesitant in allowing God to use you, thinking that you need to fix this, you need to fix that, you need to straighten out this in your life. Know this truth. You and I, we currently, we're works in progress. And it's a work that always is going to be going on and on and on until we go home to be with the Lord in glory. There's always going to be stuff to fix. There's always going to be stuff to straighten out. It's just like your home. You know, sometimes I get into this, you know, very delusional thinking that when I finish this project, you know, there's not going to be anything else wrong. And then several other things break. And sometimes we do that with our lives. We think, you know, I just need to do this and I just need to fix this and as soon as I get this all worked out, God, then you can use me. And he's like saying, no, I want to use you right now. I want to use you. I want to work in the midst of this process. I want to use your life as an instrument for my glory. Will you allow him to use you? Will you enlist in his army today? If you by chance are an unbeliever here today, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, know this, the Bible says that you're dead in your sin, that your sin has separated you from a loving God, a God who is living and a God who loves you, but, but a God who is holy. And because of your sin, he cannot have a relationship with you. But Jesus came and died on the cross to remedy that problem. If you would simply just put your faith and your trust in the work that he did. And I ask you this question. Have you tired of this world? 
Have you tired of the system of this world? Have you tired of, of running to and fro, trying to, to satisfy the emptiness there in your heart and finding that it's only satisfied for a moment, for a minute, for a week for, or two? Know this, that what you are looking for is found in Jesus. The peace, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, as well as a promise of life eternal and a relationship with God is found in him. Will you believe on Jesus today? The Bible says as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons of God, as many as believed on his name. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you believe on him today? Will you decide for Jesus today? Will you take a stand and go on record and say, you know, I'm tired of being messed up by the enemy. Will you submit to Jesus today and allow him to become the captain over you? Oh, you've made a mess of it going on your own. Will you surrender your heart to him and let him do a great work in you so that a few months from now, a few weeks from now, a year from now, you can say, God has done in my life what I could never have imagined. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are in the business of working in and through messed up people. We thank you, God, that you came to seek and to save sinners. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our sins. To die in our place. To pay a ransom for our lives. And Lord, we thank you that we are a work in progress. That you are working through us. And you want to work, you're working in us and you want to work through us. That we would be vessels, Lord. Servants in your army. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a group of people that are so sold out for you. That we would make an incredible, radical difference here in North County, in our places of employment, in the neighborhoods where we live. We bless your name.